Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. What makes you worthy of God's love? Why should God love you? Have you done anything to deserve it? What about this? Why should a mother and father love their tiny little baby? What has the baby done to deserve it? No little baby has ever pulled its weight with the household chores or proved his or her own, his or her own upstanding moral character and earned love by some effort. Love is proper to babies, you could say, because they need it, because they're so helpless, vulnerable, and needy, but somehow because of that also precious. All of our deepest intuitions of natural law itself says that we ought to love and cherish, protect and care for little babies inside or outside the womb. It's only the defect of the heart often greatly exacerbated by a demonically inspired social pressure that could delude someone to making the mistake that killing babies in the womb is okay. Human life is there and that human life should be loved. And God thinks that too. What makes you worthy of God's love? Merely the fact that you exist. God created you, and thus God loves you. Full stop. Your existence means that you have the love of God, his adoring, selfless, radical love, already, even now. You've done nothing to earn it, and you've done nothing to lose it. More important for us to hear maybe today. Nothing to dissuade God from loving you, and you never can. God is the ultimate liberal. His all-out, overabundant love is not doled out to us according to our merits or our deserving, our achievements, our intelligence, our successes, or our failures. We see an image of this liberality in the parable in today's gospel passage. God in this parable is obviously the sower, and he's throwing seed where? In handfuls. Uh, all over the place, not just on the clearly tilled soil. He's throwing it indiscriminately all over the place, on the hard-trodden ground, on the untilled ground full of rocks, on the ground covered in thorns, as well as on the good soil. These different types of soil in the parable, of course, represent us, our hearts. The seed represents the message of the gospel, the words of the kingdom, as St. Matthew's version in the story puts it, uh, that Jesus came to proclaim. And St. Luke's version that we heard just now, it's put even more strongly. The seed is the word of God, the logos theou in Greek. This is a title for Christ himself. So we can basically understand that receiving the message of the gospel, the words of truth, are like receiving Christ himself into us. But in the parable, not every soil receives him the same. The hard soil of the path are those hearts that are too hard even to open up a little to receive the truth. These hearts are walked on so much by endless talking heads on the news, the deluge of tweets and articles, opinions and trending topics and hashtags. They trample these hearts that when the seed lands on it, it's immediately picked away by demons and never stands a chance of actually soaking in. The rocky, shallow soil are the hearts that hear the truth and recognize it as good and receive it with joy but never really own it. 
They don't tend to it. They don't ask further questions or seek to learn more. So it has no deep root in them. As soon as some trial or trouble pops up, some persecution from outside or challenge, it dies in them because it was weak. The soil with thorns is actually good soil. This represents hearts that recognize the truth and that love the truth and that give it some roots and tend it and let it grow. But they also allow other things to keep roots. Things like the insistent desire to live at a certain comfort level with some benchmark of income or status, or maybe some insidious sin that they continue to nurse, like lust or envy or pride. Because none of us can serve two masters, eventually the sin chokes out the life of Christ in that heart. And then, of course, there's the soil that is well-tilled, watered, looked after. It's eventually able to let that seed turn into a crop, which produces more seed. It's a heart that allows the message of Christ to so fill it that it bursts to share that message with others, a heart that grows in virtues and grows closer and closer to the likeness of God's own heart. So we have a parable today that shows us two things, the liberality of God, the sower, and the variable conditions of us people. But careful listeners will have heard something else in this gospel passage that might seem like it contradicts the liberal indiscriminacy, if that's a word, of Jesus, the sower. It's something he tells his disciples off to the side after telling the people the parable. He tells them, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. So is Jesus actually not scattering the seed fairly? Is he actually not throwing the same seed on all types of ground, but choosing instead which ground to throw it on by favoring the disciples and telling them the secret of the parable, but only leaving the parable with the people? Tune in next week to find out. No, I'm just kidding. Um, there really is a lot that we could talk about, and there's no time today to explore this fully, but I will try to boil it down succinctly for us now because without resolving this seeming contradiction, this could be a really confusing aspect of today's message. In Matthew's version, Jesus' words here are actually quite expanded when he's telling uh, his disciples what's going on. He says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to him who has, more will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing, they do not hear or understand. With them indeed is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, you shall indeed hear, but never understand, and you shall indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their ears are heavy of hearing, and their eyes have closed lest they should perceive with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn for me to heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. What we're seeing here is some of the very soils or hearts in Jesus' parable in action. What he's telling his disciples is out there in the crowd are basically a bunch of hearts that are the hard footpath soil. It's not that Jesus isn't throwing seed on them. It's that he already knows that the hearts he's dealing with 
and he is intentionally taking steps to help it grow better here. How's he doing that? Because by telling parables, he's not merely trying to obfuscate the plain meaning of his message and purpose, as if he doesn't want the people to get it. Their hearts are already hard, and he knows that. They're not going to get it if he just says it plainly. They're just not going to get it. He is disguising the message, yes, but, somewhat ironically, he's doing it so that they will be more open to it. What do veils and masks that we all wear nowadays and curtains do for us? They make us naturally more interested in what's behind them than we may have naturally been beforehand. If you just see a cup, maybe a nice decorated cup sitting on a table, you might think, that looks nice, but not take much more notice of it. But if you know that there's a cup on a table under a veil, you're going to wonder what's going on with that cup. You're going to assume that there's something special about it. If Jesus, in spreading the message of the kingdom of God, came off as a dry theological scholar or intellectual to people, unable to hear the message presented like that, it'd be pointless. So what does he do for this dull-hearted people with hard hearts? He uses stories with compelling characters, shocking twists in the narrative, and amazing images. In fact, the very reason we're all familiar with the concept of four different kinds of hearts which are able to receive the message of truth in different ways is precisely because Jesus made it into a little story. The interesting part isn't when he tells his disciples what the parable means. It's kind of like revealing your magic trick. Oh, well, that's neat. Like it's, I have a lot of, I've been watching uh, Penn and Teller on YouTube recently. They have this show where it's called Fool Us. Magicians will come on and try to fool the famous magician uh, duo Penn and Teller with their magic tricks. And because these guys are experts, a lot of times they kind of see through the illusion and they'll kind of encode, say, we think we know how you did this. And most of the time the magicians are like, yeah, they figured it out. But every now and then a magician will come on, an illusionist, and perform some trick and Penn and Teller will say, were you, were you doing this little thing or whatever? And they'll say, that's, that's not how it works. And they give up and they say, you fooled us. And they get a little trophy. Once you understand, though, how a magic trick works, I don't know if you've ever looked at a magic trick book and seen how to make a quarter disappear and then pop out of an ear. It looks really amazing, and then you know how it works, and you're like, well, that's kind of not as exciting. So the most exciting part about this story is not when Jesus says, this is what's behind the curtain. This is what it really means. This is how it really works. The most exciting point, I think, is the parable itself. This isn't the story of four kinds of hearts that receive the truth differently. This is the parable of the four soils. So Jesus, in hiding the message behind the veil of a parable, is not cheating those hard hearts. He's still scattering the soil, but he's doing something extra for those hard hearts. He is taking the extra step to make the seed the kind of seed that has a better chance of opening up. In fact, he's encouraging those hard soils to rend open, to make little cracks, to see if some of that seed can penetrate those hearts. Again, this is more proof that Jesus' love is liberal and will not stop even when hard hearts would keep the soil or would keep the seed from getting in. 
So the message of God's love can be communicated in so many ways. We see image of it, uh, images of it. We hear echoes of it all around us in daily life, in the mundane actions of driving and working and cooking and eating and cleaning house. May God help us to have hearts that are tender enough, clear of rocks and thorns, that we not only seek God in the words coming from sermons and preaching, but in all the creative, liberal ways that God can show us his truth all around us, whether it's seeds and soil or baking and bread or sweeping your house to find that valuable object. God reveals his love to us in all kinds of ways, and hearts that are more open to seeing that are hearts that are more capable of producing fruit. Lent is the obvious time to make our hearts into the soil that can produce fruit. And here, with just a few days before the beginning of the season, is the time to make a plan. How are we going to make our hearts that kind of soil? In order to till it, we have to buy a till if we don't already have one. We have to budget time in our day to do the tilling, right? Making our hearts the kind of hearts that can receive the love and truth of God takes work and effort. But we can all go from hard footpath soil to rocky soil to thorny soil to clear soil if we put in the effort. Now is the time to make that plan. With hearts like that, the fruit of God can make in us a hundredfold. And again, we can see the liberal, overabundant love of God at work in our lives more than any of us could possibly imagine. So let's begin the practical work of buying tills, budgeting time, making a plan so that our hearts can be receptive to God's love this season. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.